Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost and welcome in to another episode of the podcast. And as I record this, well, still very locked down here in Auckland. And if I'm honest, the days are all starting to sort of merge into one big, hazy, bizarre fog factory experience. Uh, And I'm not always sure what day of the week it is or what time of the day it is or whether anything means anything anymore. But hey, here I am talking to you and that makes me feel better. So thank you. And actually, speaking of you, it's been so good over the last week or two in particular to hear from so many of you about your experiences and your stories and your own journeys of faith transition and deconstruction and the complicated journey that it is. And a couple of things that have come up through all of that uh, a number of times, and it's something that I touched on in the last episode if you listened, and that's this process of pulling down the house, the sense that we're having to deconstruct a framework of belief that, that maybe others have built for us and we've just found ourselves in, or we've built ourselves, or often a bit of a combination of those things. And then we're trying to find a sense of community in the process of kind of pulling the house apart and then having to figure out what lies on the other side of all of this and whether we want to rebuild something at all, and if we do, what that would even be and how would we, we would even do that. And that sounds kind of exhausting and, in fact, you know, is exhausting for a lot of people. And it's also filled with lots of complex emotions. And for some, it's shame or, or fear or feeling scared about whether they're allowed to do this or what it might mean if they go on this journey and what it might mean if people see them for who they are and for the way that, the ways that they're actually thinking about faith and life. Uh, and, and so there remains a hidden place. And sometimes it's associated with trauma that we've experienced. And so there's lots of those weighty emotions that sit in the midst of this conversation. And then at the same time for many of us, there's also this experience of liberation, of excitement, of openness, of the sense of discovery and of finding something life-giving or a sense of relief or whatever it might be. So it really is, it's a complicated ride and and one that many in particular talk about as being a lonely one. You know, uh, loneliness and isolation are one of the things that come up so often for people in this process. And so if that's you, I hope that somehow listening along to In The Shift gives you at least some little sense of solidarity and that feeling that you aren't alone. And so as always, if you do want to get in touch, please do. You can visit intheshift.com. You can email me at michael at intheshift.com. You can, of course, find me on my meagre attempts to be social media savvy on Instagram or Facebook or even the Twitters. And so uh, I'd love to hear from you. I always do. Um, Share a story a reflection, a comment, an idea, whatever it is, I don't mind, uh, let me know. And um, as I mentioned last time, one of, the, one of the challenges of this journey is that even when we find people who are also going through this process, it doesn't mean we're all heading in the same direction. And that in itself can be a complicated thing to f- figure out along the way. But having said that, I do want to take the next few episodes to talk about what I see as some of the ongoing problems with Christianity more broadly, but also some of the potentials I see within it too. And I'm not wanting to do that in a prescriptive sense. I don't want to lay out some kind of blueprint for a new kind of faith that now everybody should follow because I've come up with it. Uh, And, you know, you should now all believe this with me. It's, It's really more to reflect broadly on the big issues that I've seen present in the conversations that we've been having over the past few years, and to think again about it in terms of the trajectories that I'm observing there. And so rather than a a new set of propositions or beliefs or statements to cling to or 
a prescribed faith construct to now take up. Um, you know, which is a, is a straight says white man is probably probably very tempting thing to do, but also kind of problematic. And so instead, just to keep opening up the conversation about this uh, and the possibilities, I want to explore these trajectories. And I'd love to hear what you think about that and what you'd like to add to the conversation. So this is episode 49 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. Okay, so I want to start with a problem. And the problem is the word growth. Now, I'm not saying that the word growth is always a problem. But I do think that the idea of growth has become problematic within the Christian world. In fact, it's been problematic for a long time. But there's a particular intersection of factors that make it particularly problematic in the current moment. And it's a word that's synonymous, I suppose, not only just with Christianity, but also with the Western world and with capitalism. Everything is supposed to grow, and it's supposed to not just grow, but to keep growing no matter what. But there's a cost to that growth, and, you know, all growth costs something. And that cost is not always bad. You know, we're, we're willing to pay the cost for, for growth that's healthy. But never-ending growth has costs that often aren't sustainable and I want to think about this in relation to Christianity and the church and perhaps even about our society more broadly and then reflect uh, on what that kind of does to faith that's so troubling and then also what the possibilities of authenticity as a kind of alternative to that might be. Uh, I want to begin perhaps by thinking about Christian mission itself, uh, you know, central to the way many Christians feel about their faith. And, and not, this is not just a Christian thing. Many, you know, many religious people feel this way, which is, the hope, the task is to spread the good word. You know, it's to let people know about this wonderful good news that you've discovered and to um, see people get saved, to use that word. Now, if you've been listening along to the podcast for a little while, you'll know I think probably about all of those terms a bit differently than I used to. But for a lot of the church's experience and tradition, that has been one of the big driving factors. And of course, there's no end to that desire to see everybody saved, right? You, you want the whole world to be saved. Why wouldn't you? Uh, if you've got notions of heaven and hell and the fact that most of the human race is currently on their way to hell, uh, and then the point of Christianity, of course, is to kind of rescue them from that, well then, really, the only time that growth should stop is when every single person on the planet has found their way to salvation. And so central to Christian mission, to Christian understandings of evangelism and salvation is this idea that, that this should be some kind of unstoppable force that will spread around the world. Certainly as a, as a younger person, um, you know, especially in my especially in my most intense times of, of, of this way of feeling and thinking and being in my 20s, you know, this drove much of... Uh, the sense of what my life was about and what my purpose was for. It was about this unstoppable force of growth and wanting to see it take place in the world. And now as I look back, it's also been a part of the driver of Christian 
um, the Christian marriage with colonization historically as well. You know, come into a new place, see all the heathens, either convert them or eliminate them in the, in the ongoing pursuit of the growth of this Christian church. So uh, there, are some, there are some understandable reasons for, and, and, and I'm not saying growth is always a negative, but there are some problems that emerge in this kind of framework. And then in recent years, this this kind of growth framework has been married in, in some uh, problematic ways, I'm going to use that word perhaps a few times today, uh, to Western capitalism and consumerism, right? And so in the West and in our current economic, political, social world, everything is supposed to grow as well. It, it has to grow to survive. And so we're in this competitive environment whereby we are competing for our own survival and growth. And uh, and you can listen to podcast after podcast after podcast about how to grow this and that and the other. If you start a business, it's got to grow. If you start an Instagram account, it's got to grow. If you start whatever it is that you start, it's supposed to grow and keep growing. And so if you run a little business, well, then you should look at expanding and then you should look at buying another business and adding it to your portfolio. And if you own a house, then you shouldn't just own one house. You should probably try and invest your money so that you can own two houses and then you could own three and then you could own a little portfolio of houses and you could rent them out. You know, uh, everything is geared up toward this idea that the ideal is always growth. So why is that a problem? Well, as I said, it's the, it's the cost of that growth that's the problem, I guess. And and there are little ways in which we see that cost play out in difficult um, contexts. And, and then there's big ways we see that cost bear out as well. And so we think about the state of the planet itself at the moment, and it is groaning and suffering under the weight of our quote-unquote growth. And so the cost is being borne. Uh, you know, there's uh, Jürgen Moltmann, who's one of my uh, the, the sort of theologians who influenced me um, a lot in my early years of study and as, as my own trajectory started to shift and shape, you know, he talks about us in the, in the West as living on islands of prosperity floating upon the sea of mass human misery, you know, and that quote always just stuck in my mind. I'm not great from remembering quotes, but that one has stuck with me, this idea that the tremendous prosperity and growth that I experience in the West has come on the backs of suffering people. And he goes on to say that it's not only people around the world who have suffered, uh, but it is future generations who will suffer for the growth that we've experienced. And so in that sense, right, this kind of unending Western obsession with growth is has some really um, life-limiting, in the end, consequences. And it may, unless we're able to get it under control, be the end of us, you know. Uh, and and so that sort of Western obsession with growth has been taken up in new ways by the church. And there's some kind of symbiotic relationship, I think, in the West between Christian thinking and Western capitalism, and those two have fed each other. And so in the church, then, you've got this desire for growth. And I think it's fair to say that even though Christianity has always been shaped to some degree by the sense of Christian mission, that it's also true that many times within the church's history, uh, church communities have been communities where uh, they hold space and care for people. But what happened in the late 20th century is something called the church growth movement, which funnily enough found its origins really in North America but has influenced contemporary evangelicalism in particular, as well as Pentecostal and charismatic churches. And it's really approaching 
church organizations, like businesses that need to grow, like organizations that need to grow. And so there are all these strategies you can employ. Uh, There are all of these things that you can do to improve your product. And so church becomes the slick, polished, unblemished, consumable product. Church, uh, is your church the best option on the table right now? You know, if you don't have people greeting someone in the car park, then that person's going to go down the road to a church where they do have someone greeting them in the car park. And, uh, and you might be familiar, I don't know, with that kind of uh, experience within the life of the church. And even within that, then, people themselves as Christian leaders, Christian preachers, uh, become brands, uh, you know, for, for, for themselves. They, they become the, the Christian versions of, of celebrity culture uh, who get waited on hand and foot and special car parks and green rooms and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, again, I'm not sweeping through all of that and saying every aspect of this is evil and wrong and terrible. I'm more reflecting on the overall trajectory and where this is kind of taking us in terms of the way in which we think about faith, church, spirituality, and so on. And to think about some of the costs of this approach to church. And so I want to think about some of the costs here for a moment and, and why these might be such a big problem. Uh, and, and I think, you know, these problems are important to reflect on because this kind of growth mentality, we are, we are immersed in it. We are, uh, to use a, a Christian term, we are kind of baptized in it, right? We're totally immersed in this growth language. Even when I think about starting in the shift and, and who's listening to the podcast and I think, right, okay, it's got to grow. Uh, and okay, this is how many people are listening to it. Now, I've tried to resist this uh, this temptation as much as possible. I've tried to resist twisting and distorting myself into something that I will be pal- I think will be palatable to the most people. I still notice the inclination though pop up from time to time. And my own work even within the shift is to try and kind of undo and subvert my own temptation towards wanting something to kind of turn into a giant beast of a success and instead um, remain authentic to who I am and to what I'm trying to say, you know. Uh, so one of the problems is is the lack of authenticity and we're going to come back to that in the last part of this episode as we talk about the kind of possibilities for faith and what they could invite us into. Uh, some of the other challenges that we bump into with this obsession with growth is the lack of diversity <laughs> in, or at least acceptable you know, what we think is acceptable diversity. Because growth really does rely, at least rapid kind of growth, or the kind of growth that many church organizations desire, relies on homogeneity. It relies on the bulk of people being pretty much in the same boat, thinking the same kinds of things, seeing things the same kinds of ways, behaving in the same kinds of ways. Because you can then develop a really efficient growth machine. You can get people on board with what it is that you're trying to do and you can get everyone moving in the same direction and that means you can have a vision and you can push people towards that vision, you know. Uh, but what? But the cost of that, because it's a very effective way at generating momentum for an organization and to grow it, but the cost of it is that all of the people who feel like their experiences of life don't fit that script and this is, you know, one of been one of the themes of the podcast, right? For when life and faith go off script. For all the people whose experiences, and it might be you, it might be why you're listening to a podcast like this, your experiences don't fit that script of the homogenous pack of this organization. And so you're like, where do I 
fit in this. And, and so what happens is uh, many times we try and squeeze ourselves into that script um, to to be, to be a part of this thing that feels like a happening thing and like it's got purpose and it's going somewhere. But there's a cost to that psychologically within us over time and then there can be really severe costs when we begin to either we're treated this way or we treat other people this way when we see them not fitting the way that they should, they're like, that's going to slow us down. That's going to stop this organization from moving forward and growing and being the the beast of a machine that it needs to be uh, in order to save the world. And so people who experience pain or trauma or loss or grief or whose life experience isn't on the approved list, you know, um, they become inconveniences, they become interruptions to the possibilities for growth and so they get kind of trod over, discarded, uh, pushed to the edges, pushed to the sides um, and that creates a lot of collateral damage and that makes me sad because it feels to me like that is exactly what faith communities should not be doing. And instead, this obsession, this marriage of kind of Christian mission with Western capitalism has curated a way of seeing people as parts of your machine so that you might continue your march towards glorious growth for the kingdom of God, no matter how many people you crush and cause suffering for along the way. So this is one of the big problems for me when it comes to unquenchable desire for growth. I think one of the other things it does to faith is it turns it into consumable little packages. And so faith gets taken from being a deep, rich, wide tradition filled with lots of different perspectives and lots of depth of thinking and instead becomes packaged into bite-sized pieces that lack substance that lack the ability to deal with the complexity of life and instead what faith is boiled down to is a few kind of cliches where we tell people don't worry God is in control or hey God wants the best for you or God will work all things together for good. Um, Whatever the little statement might be that's supposed to just sort of make you feel better, pick yourself up and keep going so that we might keep pushing forward and make the thing happen. And if we can also Uh, prop up your own personal success and growth along the way, then even better. And so if we can merge together the success of the church with the success of your life and business and of your real estate portfolio, then uh, then that's wonderful, right? (laughs) These things are a wonderful unholy alliance. And so all of this leads to the cost of all of this growth on people themselves. People experience manipulation and coercion and many people experience burnout. And so, you know, the research shows us that the that the collateral damage and the burnout, the, the bodies kind of being spat out the back of these systems uh, are suffering and experiencing trauma. And unfortunately, this kind of collateral damage is all justifiable actually for the greater good, you know. And the greater good in this case, when it's, when it's given spiritual language, is that of saving souls from hell to heaven. And so, you know, yeah, you might be experiencing a bit of pain, but it's for, a, for the ultimate good. It's for the best purpose possible. And, and that makes it very hard to justify your own sense of struggle, the own sense of cost that you might be experiencing. And so people will tolerate a high degree of unhealthy and toxic beliefs and behaviors and practices 
for this cause of the greater good until no, until uh, for many of us, uh, our bodies, our minds, our souls can no longer take it, you know? Uh, and so uh, this is one of the problems I'm seeing and, and it's come up in different ways in some of the different conversations that we've had over the last few years is that as the church seeks this trajectory of unending growth, the, the, the damage that is done to real people along the way um, is to me problematizes the whole project. I remember reading many years ago, again, early on in my kind of faith reevaluation, uh, a book by Eugene Peterson where he talks about the temptations of Christ in the wilderness. And it's a very bizarre, kind of peculiar story where Jesus wanders out into the desert and then has a conversation with the devil. And whether it's a literal devil or he's sort of fighting his own inner demons or whatever it might be, um, it's not really the point of this here. Other than to say that what Eugene Peterson highlighted was that the temptation for Christ was not actually the end goal. It was the, it was the way in which he was to accomplish the end goal. It was about the means, not just the ends. And often um, we justify uh, the means with the ends, right? We say, ultimately, this is for a good purpose. And so it doesn't really, we can justify the damage we do along the way for this glorious good purpose. And, and what Peterson was saying here is that that's exactly what Christ is tempted with. Um, he's tempted with not just what he's trying to accomplish, but the way he's going to accomplish it. And in fact, we see this flow as he resists that temptation, this flows into the trajectory of his life, whereby instead of taking up violence and presumption, and possession and control in order to bring about the kingdom of God, he instead takes up a path of forgiveness and openness and vulnerability and uh, and empathy for the suffering as his path toward what the kingdom of God really looks like because the kingdom of God ultimately is not an ends. It's in fact the way. It's the way in which we are and live and be with one another here and now, not just something out there. No, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So again, coming back to even, you know, in the shift and what I try and do with this podcast and um, and this whole project, you know, there's, there's a part of me that has been intentionally very basic in the way that I've approached even the, the putting together of these episodes. Now, I'm not opposed to creativity at all. I love creativity. I'm a musician and I like to use words and and I and I love art and beauty, you know. Um, but I've also recognized, I think, because of my own experience within the kind of growth mindset, I've, I've, I recognize that some of the bells and whistles, so to speak, have been used to manipulate people and, and get people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do. And, you know, I was a keys player at a church and I used to get up behind the preacher at the end of the service when they would do either the Salvation Altar call or perhaps an offering talk and I would play these little emotional chords behind whatever it was that they were saying and so I guess it's possible I may have in some respects developed a little bit of trauma when it comes to that. And I know, I knew that I could take certain chords and play them and add subtle little layers of complexity and emotion and feeling behind whatever was being said, even if what was being said was relatively benign, but especially if it was trying to get people to do a particular thing. Now, we know that that happens, you know, we 
watch movies and they, there's a reason they have soundtracks, you know, and, and if, a, if you watch like a film that doesn't have a soundtrack, you're like, oh my gosh, this feels so kind of cold and sterile. And so I'm not saying that there's no place for creativity or music or art or beauty or whatever. But one of the things I've done intentionally within the shift is steer clear of that because for me, I've wanted to try and curate a space that has almost intentionally not been slick. I hope it's listenable. I hope that, uh, and you know, and my friend Reese takes the recordings that I do and massages them uh, in some way that I don't understand so that you don't have to sort of turn your volume up and down all the time on your stereo and so that it sounds okay in your ears. And I'm, so I'm all for like quality, you know, quality is good. But what I've tried to steer clear from is taking this and turning it too much into one of those slick products that I experienced in my own past. And so that might make a big sense, bit of sense as to why I have this really um, budget little piece of music that is the little sting at the start of every episode. And, you know, this whole approach that I've taken is to try and strip things back and say, okay, uh, let's take all of those parts that have been used against us in many respects and, uh, and rethink things from the ground up. And one of the other things I've done within, with, with this whole project is tried to avoid um, the kind of self-guruization. Uh, if you listen to one of the very first early episodes in the podcast was about the, the problem of sort of the charismatic guru, you know. And so, you know, I've even kept all of my inner shift kind of social media world intentionally somewhat separate from my personal life or my personal presence online and that again has been this attempt to say I am not a brand I am a person and so even though that I share these thoughts I am not the same as, you know I am not a brand to be consumed by you <laughs> uh, and I'm not a brand to use up for my own kind of success and gain instead I'm wanting to open up space for conversation uh, now I don't do this I'm not saying the way that I approach that is the way it should be approached or that it's correct. It's simply some intentional decisions I've made in the very specific context that I find myself. And, and they are done kind of on purpose somehow to kind of subvert the temptation to turn this into uh, or to try and turn this into some kind of juggernaut. Of course, if it grows, or, uh, you know, then, then that's okay. But I don't want that growth to come at the cost of my own sense of authenticity and integrity. And so I guess that's the question then I have for our larger uh, religious institutions and faith organizations and churches. Um, what is the cost of this growth that is being pursued? And I think the cost most often is people. And so if that's the problem, then, then what is the alternative? What is the possibility here for places of faith? Because we could just discard faith entirely and say, well, you know what? Look at how it's being used so badly. Let's get rid of the whole thing. But I think actually, in many respects, we do still need, we need spiritual um, alternatives to the kind of growth machines of Western capitalism and success, uh, partly because um, actually if we, if we strip away faith, that doesn't necessarily help us deal with the larger Western obsession with this stuff. So the answer is not to sort of take all of the Western obsession with growth and success and consumerism and just turn it into a Christianized version um, but instead to say, well, what are the possibilities present within this tradition that could help us find a different way that doesn't contribute so fully to the kind of collateral damage of the growth obsession? And, and so I think there is, in fact, many possibilities and resources within spirituality to help transform us 
and, and perhaps to do so in, in ways that purely political alternatives often struggle to do. Uh, now, those political efforts, uh, you know, are very worthwhile. But I do think spirituality does have something to offer us in terms of uh, what we might call our heart, you know, what we might call our affections, what we might call the rituals and practices and embodied experiences of our lives that actually help to reshape us in different kinds of ways. So how can our faith, instead of focusing on growth, actually help us toward authenticity? And I think there's possibilities here with this word. Now, when I use the word authenticity, I am aware that sometimes that word is used in kind of middle-class individualistic Western context to really mean that I just want to be able to do whatever I want and that's me being authentic and I kind of get that especially if you have been someone who's suffered under a system of control but I don't want to use authentic in quite that way because I do see some spin-off problems with that I think it's still kind of connected to this notion of individualism uh, and self-centeredness if I can say it that way um, authenticity is not just about me being able to do whatever I want because, in fact, my life is interconnected with others and with the world around me. And so instead, authenticity, for me, is about seeking a life that's integrated with some sense of honesty about my real experience of life, both historically and in the present. Authenticity for me is about honesty. It's also about an opening up to diverse experiences, both of my own and to others, so that rather than being this one script that we're all supposed to follow, instead allowing the honesty of our very real experiences to actually speak to those voices to come to the surface and the real diversity of the human experience uh, to actually be seen and known and understood and heard. Uh, and hopefully that allows for a healthy kind of flourishing and growth for us as people um, integrated in communities, but not necessarily about the growth of the organization as it charges towards its mission statement. And I think some of the resources for this way of thinking about honesty, thinking about vulnerability, thinking about um, listening to the real experiences of, of life and about diversity, you know, I think some of the resources for this are there within the Christian tradition. If we find ourselves, you know, and I don't know what kind of relationship you have with the Bible. My relationship with it varies, and I'm, you know, kind of a theologian. <laughs> um, and at times I've found Scripture very hard to uh, come to because of the, my experience of it in the past. But, you know, as I, as I read things like the Psalms and the prophets, I see in there uh, people speaking honestly about suffering, people speaking honestly about pain, people speaking honestly about joy and about sorrow, about grief and about loss and about wonder and beauty and surprise. And I see that kind of authentic experience being given voice and being given space and being given place. And I think we need that kind of language. You know, I think we need encouragement toward that way of being in the world. And I don't, I don't think this is, you know, I don't think it's just the problem of religion that stopped us from being able to do this. I think our wider social and cultural and political worldviews have shaped us in ways that stifle that sense of the authentic experience of life and the honesty and vulnerability that comes with that. And so there are resources there in the language of the psalmists and the prophets and the poets of the religious tradition of Christianity. And also there in the story of the Christ, you know, this, this story that embraces a kind of particularity, you know, by entering into you know, Christian, and again, without diving into all the theology of this, and we've done this at times throughout the episode, uh, throughout the episodes of the, of the podcast, 
somehow what, what Christians lean toward is this idea that God or the divine is somehow uniquely present to us in the Jesus story. That either Jesus reveals to us what God is really like or, or shows us somehow or embodies or lives out the sense of here's a way of thinking about what God might actually be like. Uh, and what we see in that by, by God, the divine being present uniquely in this, in this person, Jesus of Nazareth in the first century, is the embrace of like the particularity of our experience. In other words, it's not some kind of big, generalized, abstract, timeless truth um, that then is kind of imposed upon everybody regardless of your context. But instead, the divine is found in the Jesus story in a particular place and time among a particular people shaped by a particular person's embodied life. And so if that's a symbol of how God might be present to us, then I wonder if that becomes an invitation to see how faith and spirituality might be a resource for us to inhabit our own particularity, our own particular time and place and embodied experience of life, and to then bring that forward with vulnerability and honesty and authenticity into the ways in which we intersect with one another. And so what could it look like to see our faith, not as the glorification of growth and success, but instead maybe as this pathway to living with authenticity? You know, I think about... At times in the life in the life of Jesus, these things that he would say and do that were very true to the way in which he saw things when he spoke out about injustice or when he named difficult things that need to be needed to be said, and people would just kind of wander off and be like, "Oh, that, that got a bit weird, you know, or that got a bit hard." And and here was here was Jesus seeking to be faithful to what it is he believed he was about and the way he was to accomplish things. There were times when the crowds tried to make him the leader of a violent revolution and he has to kind of, he has to actually escape his own followers, you know, um, to stay true to who it is that he felt he was to be and to what it is that he thought of God and how that shaped his view of life and of his purpose. And he was willing to not have his organization grow over and over and over again to the point of heading toward his own death. And his own death, paradoxically within the Christian tradition, is seen somehow as the triumph of God in the world, but not the triumph of success and growth and glorious, um, wondrous achievements, but instead the triumph of, of the recognition that vulnerability and, uh, and self-giving are the path to real life, you know. And so... Uh, there are resources here, I think. And so perhaps we can start to see some of the rituals and practices of faith as opportunities to pause and to ask ourselves what stories are shaping us and to ask ourselves what is going on in me and in my body and in my heart and in my emotions and my experience right now. What questions am I asking? What meaning am I searching for? What is going on for us right here and now? Not just me as an individual, but for us in our communities. What questions do we see coming to the surface and how do we negotiate those and how does our spirituality and faith speak to those questions? And then maybe if that's the kind of approach we take to our faith, then maybe we can see the divine found present to us in that place. And I think maybe that's part of what it means for you know the gospel writer of um, the gospel of John says that the word was with God or well, the word was God, and then the word became flesh and blood and dwelled among us. It's the location of the divine presence in the midst of our very real lived flesh and blood experience. All of this is not great for growth, <laughs> at least not in the sense of organizational growth, because it's not efficient. It's not homogenous. It's not 
controlling enough of the system. But I think there are life-giving possibilities to be found here and maybe that will lead us to a different kind of growth, maybe a growth of who we are, of how we're connected to each other and to God and to ourselves and to the world we find ourselves. So that's what I wanted to explore today. In the next episode, we're going to continue looking at some of the problems and possibilities of faith. Thanks as always to Reese Michelle for making this sound okay, good even, in your ears without manipulative minor chords. Until next time.